you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus chapter 3, please. Titus chapter 3. As you're turning there, we'll go ahead and update you on our uh, count. Our weekly total this week is 143 gospel contacts. And our yearly subtotal is 7,671. All right. Titus chapter 3. God willing, we'll be expounding verse 12. Some people have asked where uh, we'll be going to next. Unless the Lord changes my mind, I think I'm going to teach out of the book of Hosea. Hosea. But right now we're in Titus. Be back in the Old Testament on Sunday morning for a little bit. Titus chapter 3 and verse 12. Now we're coming to the close of Paul's letter. And we looked at last week, heretics, and now he's kind of done with the doctrine, and he's getting into the practical instructions of, okay, we need to wrap this letter up, and here's some things I need for you to do, Titus. And he's given him some instructions on what was applicable at his time, something he needed Titus to do for them personally at that time. But what he tells Titus at that time is applicable to us in our time. We glean from everything in Scripture. So Paul begins these instructions by telling Titus in verse 12, When I shall send Artemis unto thee. Now this is the only time Artemis is mentioned in the Bible, so we don't know much about him. But what we do know is that Artemis was subject to being sent by the Apostle Paul. So there's some things we can deduct from that, right? Uh, he was in the company of Paul himself. And he was obviously a faithful minister to Paul. If Paul could say, hey, go here, do this. And he was willing to subject himself to Paul's will so he can fulfill God's need. Um, and the fact that Paul did not introduce him to Artemis, uh, and introduce Titus to Artemis, the fact that he didn't say, hey, there's this person named Artemis, a faithful servant of mine, I'm going to send him to you shortly. He just said, Artemis. It makes me think that Titus must have known him. He's been around before. For all we know, Artemis may have been someone who delivered one of the epistles. That, we're, that we've read here in the Bible. We don't know on behalf of Paul since he ran errands for him. But what we don't know about Artemis may be the biggest lesson we should learn about him. And that it is Artemis was content delivering the message without making the news. Artemis was content delivering the message Without making the news. He was content running somebody else's errands. Letting Paul be the, uh, the person people talked about. The front man. Artemis wasn't trying to gain the preeminence among his brethren. Like some other Christians were back then. He was trying to make sure God's kingdom work got done. And that's the attitude we should have as well. The only person who really needs to be out in front. Is the Lord Jesus Christ. There's so many people like Artemis who've accomplished many great things, but are known by so few people. If you would have seen Artemis traveling to the island of Crete on behalf of Paul, 
and you just happened to see him, you probably wouldn't have given that man a second look. He probably didn't have a whole lot of money. He probably didn't have some big entourage with him. He just, just a guy, you know, running an errand. But that seemingly nobody in the Christian circles that you walked past was running an errand for God himself. Artemis teaches us that we should never overlook the nobodies. That the people known to God are not always known to us. That's what it teaches us. He teaches us that the people we look down on in the church today could be the people we look up to in the kingdom tomorrow. So be careful. Paul said he would send either Artemis, look back in your text, or Tychicus to go see Titus. We do know a whole lot more about Tychicus because Paul mentioned him several times in his epistles. Also in the book of Acts, Luke mentioned him and was said to have accompanied Paul on his missionary uh, travels. Paul told Titus, he said, I'm either going to send Artemis to you or I'm going to send Tychicus to you. And when they deliver this message to you, when they deliver the, the, uh, this, this letter, he says, be diligent, look back in your text, be diligent to come unto me to Nicopolis. Paul wanted Titus to meet him in Nicopolis. Now, I want you to remember when we first began the book of Titus. In fact, you might want to uh, turn back to chapter 1. This is not in the notes. But if you're there in your Bible, turn back to chapter 1, verse 5. Paul tells Titus at the beginning of the book, for this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. Remember, Paul left Titus on the island of Crete to set those churches in order. Crete is an island that's over 500 miles from Nicopolis. And there were no modern modes of transportation back then Titus would have to uh, probably walk or use an animal to get to the port and from the port he would have to take a ship to cross the ocean and get back to the, to, a, to a mainland and then he would have to either walk or go by way of animal for the rest of the journey to get to Nicopolis I did some figuring on it like Jethro Bodine I did some ciphering and if Titus made really good time and never had to walk, he just had an animal the whole way, it probably would have taken Titus about uh, two and a half to three weeks if he just took off. No delays, no nothing. Well fed, well cared for. About two and a half to three weeks to get to Nicopolis from Crete. So this was no weekend getaway. This wasn't a day trip. Titus followed Paul to Crete. And now Paul wanted Titus back with him. He left him there. Now he's calling him back. Paul planned to be in Nicopolis for a long time. He said, Titus, meet me in Nicopolis. Look back in your text. For I have determined there 
to winter. So for at least the foreseeable future, Titus was not going back to the island of Crete. How did he tell uh, Titus to come to him? He said, you do it diligently. Be diligent. In other words, when you get this letter, take off. Speedily head for Nicopolis and you meet me there. So what's happening here? Well, his ministry in Crete's getting canceled. <laughs> he's got his, he's got his uh, uh, papers in for his new assignment, right? I've determined a winter there. So for the foreseeable future, again, Titus is not going back to the island of Crete. The time had come for him to join back up with Paul and now serve in another location. And there's three things I'd like for us to learn from this this morning. First, the autonomy of the local church. The autonomy of the local church. Paul didn't leave Titus in Crete to rule over the churches there. There are several churches in Crete. But he didn't leave Titus in Crete to rule over the churches. He left him there to set things in order in those churches. Paul wasn't setting up some kind of ecclesial, uh, ecclesiastical hierarchy over the churches uh, in Crete. Paul was setting things in order for those churches. He was laying down rules for them, establishing uh, uh, things, doctrines to go by for them, and ensuring that they were well-governed and well-instructed for the work of the ministry before leaving them on their own. When Titus left Crete, that's it. There is no overseeing authority on that island in their presence at that time. Just like there's none here with us today. Right? There's no apostles running around here today, checking in on us and all that. He left them on their own. After Titus set elders over the churches and admonished them according to Paul's letter, it was time for Titus to leave Crete and let these churches govern themselves according to God's word. You see that here? These instructions are full of doctrine for our churches today. The scriptures establish order for every church. But they do not establish denominational leaders to oversee the pastors of any church. I'm going to say that again. The scriptures establish order for every church. But they do not appoint denominational leaders to oversee any church. The United Methodists have leaders that oversee their local churches. It's funny, I think it was... Um, I think it was uh, Leslie, she's not here today, that, that had a prayer request for one of the, missionary, uh, one of the uh, Methodist churches here in town the other day. They were having to vote on something, whether or not to leave the, the church or not, or something like that. And uh, she said, uh, you know, if they, they don't own their own building. The, dom the domination owns the church building. So this could be a big deal. Right? Things don't go right in the vote. They could be without a building and just have to leave it to somebody else. But they have denominational leaders that oversee their local churches. The United Methodists do. That's a denominational church. We are not, by the way. We're not a denominational church. 
Their churches don't choose their own pastor. Did you know that? They don't. Each area in the United Methodist denomination, they have a bishop over the area. And that bishop assigns a pastor to the local churches. And he or she can reassign that pastor somewhere else whenever they deem necessary. Usually they try to put them there for at least a year. They can stay longer, usually at least a year. And then they get their papers and say, okay, the bishop says, all right, you go to this church here now. Presbyterians, we could go to a lot of different denominations. Catholics, of course, obviously, they, they're ruled all the way back to Rome. Presbyterians also have denominational leaders governing their local churches. Again, we do not. Presbyterian congregations, they vote on presbyters who form a presbytery to govern regional groups of churches. And the presbyteries are overseen by synods. It gets a little more complicated, doesn't it? We've gone through this whole book now. This is a pastoral epistle, the book of Titus. We've gone through this whole book. And nowhere did the Apostle Paul instruct uh, Titus to have them elect presbyters and create synods. Didn't happen. He said, you appoint elders, or you appoint pastors over these churches. And now Titus, you leave. I'll meet you in Nicopolis. They got what they need now. They have God's word. They have God's man. Leave them alone. Again, we've gone through this whole book, and Paul hadn't said a word to Titus about these things. Hadn't said a word about anyone overseeing anybody. Listen, the only leadership a church needs is a pastor and a Bible. That's it. That's it. And when a church needs a new pastor, because they do. Some pastors fall into sin. Some pastors get old and die. Some pastors give up and quit. It's just life. So when a, a church does need a new pastor, the congregation has a Bible. To tell them what kind of man they need to choose as a new pastor. We did see that in Titus, didn't we? Here's what the elders should be like. Here's the kind of people you're to appoint. It's also in Paul's letters to Timothy. And when, it, when a church needs a, a new pastor, again, they follow the scriptures. When a church gets a new pastor, what do they do? They follow the scriptures. With all the extra oversight. Think about it just for a moment. With all the extra oversight. Because we don't have any. We have nothing outside these walls. We have a Bible. And that's it. We have a Bible. And we have Jesus on top of that. And we just follow Him like we're supposed to. We don't have any, anyone, any leaders, any appointees. Nowhere coming to see us. We don't want them. We don't need them. We want it just like the scriptures. Now think about it. Their argument is this. We need more oversight to make sure the churches are doing what they should do. 
Make sure the churches get the right kind of pastors. Make sure the churches are following the right rules. So we've got a bishop or presbyters. We've got synods. We've got people all the way up to the top who are presidents of whatever denomination. And we're giving great oversight over these local churches. No, they're not. They've got great control over those local churches. And they've got control of some of their money too. That's what they have. So think about it. With all this extra leadership, with all this extra oversight, a bishop overseeing the pastors, synods overseeing the presbyters, overseeing the pastors, whatever. You would think that these denominational churches would be the cat's meow. You would think they'd be following right down the scriptures and doing everything right with all that oversight. Just the opposite. These are the churches that are going the opposite of Scripture. They're the ones putting women in the pulpit. They're the ones putting homosexuals in the pulpit. They're the ones having the drag queen celebrations in their fellowship halls. The extra oversight doesn't do anything but violate Scripture, which they're not following anyway. So if anyone tells you that's why we need the extra oversight, they're wrong. Here's a kingdom truth for you. God's church does not need greater oversight. It needs greater obedience. God's church doesn't need greater oversight. The church needs greater obedience. Titus was not left in Crete to stay. Once a church is up on its feet, biblically speaking, it's time for the Tituses to go. Do we still have Tituses today? Absolutely we do. If you have someone go overseas and they preach to a group of people who've never heard the Word of God before, now you have new believers. What has to happen? You have to establish a church, right? A local church. The, the missionary or evangelist, which is the biblical word, he then is going to have to serve as a pastor for that church. He serves as a pastor. He, he teaches the people as they grow. Then, then the Holy Spirit gifts some people in that church. And you can see that some have leadership capabilities and the ability to be able to teach the Scriptures. As they get taught, they raise them up. They then appoint them according to God's Word to be the overseer of that local church. They then go to another place and they start all over there. And they may need to go back from time to time and check to make sure they're okay since they're, they're very new in that. But the whole job of an evangelist is to work himself out of a job. Which is what Titus did. He got him up and running and now he's going to be up and running, right? <laughs> so, number two. What's the second thing we learn from this? The inevitability of change. Being on an island cut off from the mainland was probably a nice, a nice gig for Titus. I'd love it. Man, if I go to a restaurant, I want to find something off in the corner. I want to get away from everybody. Out of sight, out of mind. That's the way I like being. So he probably enjoyed being on that little island over there. Being in a position of authority. You know, he was the big, the big wig there, spiritually speaking. I'm sure he enjoyed a great deal of respect among the churches. 
He was the big man on campus. And I'm sure by now, Titus loved those people. He developed strong relationships with them. I bet it's hard for him to go. And I bet for Titus, especially if you've been in the ministry for a while, because I know pastors start thinking this way. They start thinking this way in secular jobs and in spiritual jobs too, because we're people. And I bet for Titus, after following Paul around, following him around, following him around, Working, working, he's getting older and he's getting tireder. I bet Otitis sitting there on that island, that island life real nice. I bet he could sit there and think, you know, uh, this would be the perfect place to settle down. But now Paul is uprooting Titus from all of that and he's sending him somewhere else. Listen, the word of the apostle left Titus in Crete. And now the word of the apostle is calling Titus from Crete. So here's another kingdom truth for you. The God that called you to Crete will one day call you out of it. The God that called you to Crete will one day call you out of it. In a temporary world, everything is... Temporary. Everything is. James Johnson just learned that the other day, right? And you know what? My wife and I were talking about the other day. James had a wreck in his truck. James not a truck driver anymore. And my wife and I were talking about this week. We prayed and prayed and prayed that God would get Brother James Johnson back here in church more often. It may have just been God going... On that truck. May have been God that sent that fly in your cab, Brother James. That fly was on a divine mission. I'm serious. The God that called you to Crete will call you out of it. In a temporary world, everything's temporary. Change is not always pleasant. It wasn't pleasant for him to have a wreck in the truck. He had settled down. He, he, he knew everything in his job. And, and you know how it is when you get used to a job and you've learned everything inside and out. And, and you you just got your rut and you're, you're glad to be in your rut. I like ruts. Change isn't always pleasant. But in a fallen world, it's always inevitable. Whether by your death, by necessity... By some tribulation you face in life. The way you serve Christ today. Will one day end. Or change. Or move to another place. We'll say that again. Whether by death. Or necessity. Or some tribulation you face. The way you serve Christ today. Will one day end. Or change. Or move to another place. Paul didn't tell Titus to quit. He told him to go. That's the next thing you want to see here. In, in this change. This isn't the third thing to learn. But, but in this second thing here. About change is inevitable. He didn't tell Titus to quit. Change was not designed. To make us go out of service to God. 
He didn't tell them to quit. He told them to go. Paul spoke about two things in the Bible. Paul spoke about serving. Paul spoke about dying. I'm talking about Paul speaking about his own life. He spoke about his service to God. He spoke about dying and going home to God. But Paul never spoke about quitting. Not once. So here's another kingdom truth for you. If you are following Jesus, your ministry will change. But your service will never end. If you are following Jesus, your ministry will change. But your service will never end. So the goal is not to maintain your ministry. It's to maintain your service to Christ. Don't hold on to the ministry and say, that the ministry, we've got to keep the ministry going. It's not about the ministry. It's about your service to Jesus. If Jesus started the ministry, if He called you into Crete, He'd call you out of it. Hang in that ministry. Third, our third truth that we can deduct from this passage of Paul calling Titus out of Crete. Winter is coming. Winter is coming. Paul said he determined to winter in Nicopolis. Now Paul was a traveling preacher, right? But winter during those times uh, was not the time to be on the move. They didn't have heated seats like some of our cars. They didn't have a nice heater and defroster on the windshield and things like that. They didn't have all-wheel drive. So winter wasn't the time to be on the move then. When, when winter came, they had to settle in somewhere, kind of like a, kind of like a, uh, uh, a uh, bear hibernating for the winter. They'd just tuck in and settle in somewhere. It wasn't the time for itinerant preachers to go around traveling. When it was a time for Paul and his company to stop traveling, to hold up for a while, and to make themselves useful while they waited for warmer weather. Ministry is seasonal. That's what we learn from this. Ministry is seasonal. We all have winters in our service to God. No one goes full blast every day. No one goes unchallenged in their service to Jesus. Oh man, just doesn't happen. Your ministry to God is seasonal. You don't stop serving. Paul didn't stop serving. He didn't say, I'm going to go to Nicopolis and kick my feet up and do nothing. Paul's probably going to write letters. He's probably going to be teaching. He's going to make himself useful. He picked a place where he can make himself useful in Nicopolis. He says, Peter, meet me there. We need to convene. We need to get the group back together. And probably when springtime came, it was time for them to spring and move on somewhere else. But you need to understand in your ministry, in your life, your service to God, winter's coming. There's going to come a time you're going to be too old to do what you're doing now. There's going to come a time when your ministry is going to be challenged by the devil. And everything's not going to be coming up roses. And winter's a hard time to work. Spring and summer's an easier time to work. Spring and summer's when 
you plant and, and bear fruit and you harvest in your ministry, winter is a time where you hunker down. And sometimes in your service to God, you're going to go through some cold, bent, bitter winters. And you're going to think, God, what's happening? Are you putting me on the shelf? No. Winter's come. Learn to settle in. When that time comes, when God shuts that ministry down for a bit, when, when, when God, is, His hand has just put its pressure on you and you just can't seem to go further for a while in your ministry, your service to Him, seems like you're not bearing any fruit at the time, you pray to God, but it's time to hunker down then. It's time to get in prayer. It's time to do what you can do where you are and to wait for summer to come. And one day, there's going to come a winter. There won't be a spring come after it. Our head's going to get grayer. Man, I looked in the mirror the other day. I got a lot more gray hair than I used to. I know y'all can't see it. I know you can't. I look like so youthful. My wife tells me all the time how young I look. She doesn't. She does not. But I can see it. I look at my mom and dad. I can see them getting older. I know all that's coming. Winter's going to come one day. And there won't be a spring follow it. There'll be a funeral follow it. There'll be a time you just got to quit. Doing, serving God the way you're serving. You know when Brother Hensley was here? He had a winter come. It was a bitter winter for him. God didn't tell him to stop. He told him to change. It was so awkward. I remember... You know, I was sitting down there and Brother Hensley came up to give announcements just like he always had. And everyone's looking at him like, Brother Hensley, you're not pastor anymore. Let him get up here and give announcements, you know. And then suddenly he started looking at everyone's faces and he realized, okay, something's wrong. Then suddenly it dawned on him. He looked back at me. He goes, I'm sorry. And he stepped down. And for a while he'd go back to the back and shake everyone's hand just like he did for years. And finally, he found something else to do. He'd be out cleaning out flower beds. He'd be out visiting people sick in the hospital. He'd be out making himself busy. Going to the nursing home with Brother Doug. Helping him along. You know what, you know what happened? He hunkered down for the winter. And there was no spring come after it. That was the end for Brother Hensley. That's going to come for every one of us. Change is inevitable. You take the change. If it's something that you, if it's change that you cannot resist, if it's change that you have no control over, if you're following God, here's what it is. It's God calling you out of Crete. And you know what you do when God calls you out of Crete? Paul said, you come diligently. You follow that call diligently. God took away my health. I'll diligently serve Him in some other way. I'm not going to keep trying to serve back in Crete when I'm supposed to be a Nicopolis. Nicopolis is coming. Winter is on its way. You serve Him until the season of your life is over. With that, we'll go ahead and close. Man, I'm glad I have a Bible. Oh, I'm glad I have a Bible. Such rich wisdom in these Scriptures. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word.
We thank you, Father, for sending Titus and Paul to Crete. Thank you for leaving Titus in Crete. Thank you for calling Titus out of Crete. And ultimately, thank you for calling Titus home to be with you. What a wonderful picture of the inevitable change of our fruit-bearing life and the ultimate reward of standing in the presence of the one we served at the end of it. I pray, Father, that we'll be diligent like Titus. We'll follow the rules and we'll follow the leader who made them. In his precious name we pray. Amen.